All right, welcome to the Jig is Up. My name is Darcy, and joining me as always is Jason. How's the North Man up there? Hey, not bad. Getting ready for uh, harvesting season. How are you? I'm good. We're uh, we're getting some cold temperatures down here, so it feels like we went from like plus forty to like zero in a week. And uh, oh man, fall is on the way. Absolutely, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, and, cool. The leaves are starting to turn color. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's cool. For those that like that, <laughs> yeah. uh, I I enjoy it. I don't like it when the first leaves start to turn color, but then I kind of you know then I get over it and you know fall is here. Nothing you can do about it. It is inevitability. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kick off. We got a whole whack load of stuff here to cover, but um, and I'm we might not even get to it all tonight. But one of the things that I did see, um, that I only want to spend a few minutes on, but I did see some people posting uh, on social media about about UNDRIP and the UN and how we should be, as, you know, Métis people, we should be taking our case to the UN. We should be, you know, looking at un- turning to UNDRIP because it is it is what we need. And, you know, I want to say that I think UNDRIP is a phenomenal uh, document. Um, and absolutely, I wish that we could see that implemented legally. Uh, but, however, it, it is actually not law. And it, the UN is no jurisdiction in Canada. So I don't... Like, we can go complain to them, but there's really not much they can do, you know? Well, I think, yeah, one, UNDRIP is good insofar it was drafted by the powers that be. But it's pretty pretty easy for the UN to draft um, a recommendation that it has no power to enforce. So you can get some pretty lofty goals in there, and you can get a lot of people to support it, especially when they all go home. Uh, to their own jurisdictions like Canada and have no, there's no pressure to implement anything that it says. So you can all nod and smile and say, Oh yeah, that that's really good. But it's no pressure to implement it. I mean, we've seen that several times on the United Nations levels. Heck, we even see that with the Supreme court of Canada, that the government's not under any obligation to, you know, um, do what it says. Absolutely, and and that's the thing. Like I, um, when I when I look at the UN and stuff, like I think that's it's great. Uh, you know, I know under Harper we did not endorse the uh, United Nations declarations on the rights of Indigenous peoples. And when Trudeau came into power, it was one of the first things he did. And I think, honestly, I think it's one of those things that uh, they deem as reconciliation to come out and endorse it and put Canada's support behind it, which is great. Those are good words. It's a really good intent, um, but at the at the end of the day, it's not law. And even recently, they they voted in Parliament to support a motion that would require uh, UNDRIP compliance when writing laws. But reality, the reality of that is, they didn't support they didn't write UNDRIP into law. What they did was they supported a motion, or or I guess in the end, they supported the idea of UNDRIP. But it really, again, still doesn't have any teeth in, in law, right? But even when um, Canada signed on to support UNDRIP, they already said when they were standing on the big UN podium that they would implement uh, UNDRIP within the Canadian framework, meaning that, you know, whatever what was put forward in there, Canada wanted to hang on to its colonial construct and... You know, and that's what we see is we see them trying to do things. They, you know, they throw around the word reconciliation a lot, and they're, you know, trying to put these ideas into play without actually 
you know, compromising its, you know, state authority. Absolutely. And I, and I, I mean, I think the UN has, has definitely some validity and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm glad it's there, but, um, and, and I think it is a good place to go and, um, you know, make the world aware of certain aspects of Canadian culture or the, you know, the country itself that I'm sure if they could, Canada would, you know, sweep under the blanket and not let anybody know about. So I, I think in that regard, it's a good way to, to let the world know what's kind of going on here. Um, but at the end, again, it's it's not legally binding. We can come back from our trip to New York and go back into Parliament and not really care, right? So, yeah, and I think we've seen that. We've seen how long ago was it that they actually officially endorsed it when when the Trudeau government got in, and here we are, almost coming to full term with uh, this administration, and we've seen very little in in hard fact of, of implementation. Lots of uh, paperwork, lots of rhetoric, but really, um, uh, when day in day out lives are are uh, in the balance, there's really not a lot that's changed. Absolutely, and and going back to their vote uh, in Parliament to support, I think it was Char. I can't remember who it was that put the motion forward for the NDP. Um, but to to vote in favor of supporting his motion, uh. Again, wasn't putting UNDRIP into law. It was basically just saying, yeah, we agree. He's got a really good idea. Um, so, again, it's it's kind of, I, I really feel like uh, the way government of Canada is treating it is it's like a really good ball of reconciliation that we can bat around and keep up in the air. And people will be like, oh, but we now support UNDRIP. And they can kind of put that checkbox on their re-election form like we've... We've endorsed UNDRIP. We voted to support it, and we did all these great things, but in the end of the day, there's no action behind it. They're just words. Yeah, and I think that's the whole point that we have to come to grips with the, the Trudeau government. You know, the Harper government just said, no, nah, we're not going to do it, and made everybody mad. And, you know, the Trudeau government says, oh, yes, we will do it without a... There's no end to that statement. When when would they do it? Absolutely. And I, I think... You know, we, we chat around the house here, and it's, it's kind of the difference between, you know, uh, Buckley's cough medicine and Vicks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Both yeah. are going to medicate you, just one tastes better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And so we really have seen, you know, Harper made us feel bad because he just stood there and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't care. Yeah. And got pissed everybody off. And now we have Trudeau who says, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. And four years later we're no further ahead than in when the Harper administration was in. We just got better talk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It did. The, it just went down a little easier. That's all. Well, we got, we got more money. We got, yeah. you know, more funding. We signed more paperwork. We get more FaceTime. Yeah. But if you're living in a shanty on the side of the road, four years later, you don't got anything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, I really, I hate these things because a lot of it just ends up being words. There's no actions. Now, if they were to say, no, we sub, we vote in parliament to support the motion and we're going to set a committee up to determine a timeline in which we can actually implement that and blah, blah, blah. Well, then they're actually maybe doing something. They're at least talking about taking action to do something. But, it, you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, if you said, oh, I want to buy a new car and I said, Great, I would support that. Well, what does that mean to you? That means nothing to you. Now, if mm-hmm. I said, Jason, I'm going to come up and I'm going I'm to drive you to the car lot and I'm going to help you go pick out that car and I'll, I know, maybe I know more about cars than you, so I'll give you some tips. Okay, that's like actionable stuff. 
But just to be, oh, I support it. Well, you can support anything you want. That doesn't mean you're doing anything. Well, and I think that's where we've seen it. We've seen, you know, the Liberal government throw around a lot of money, and I think that's good. But, I mean, four years later, we actually haven't seen, you know, even when we talked about the, the M&A and the cartels, they actually themselves haven't seen the check clear. Exactly. And and so it's funding uh, that's promised. It's not funding that's been received. It's reconciliation that's promised, not reconciliation done. Yeah. And so, again, it's a lot of talk. It just tastes better. Absolutely. Know? Good, good old Vicks. Absolutely. You know, it, it reminds me, um, my, my wife pointed out on the weekend, we were driving down Calgary down to downtown, um, and they've renamed the Langevin Bridge here to Reconciliation Bridge, um, but they're actually doing a bunch of construction work on it. So there's a sign that says, uh, you know, Reconciliation Bridge closed. <laughs> Expect delays. Mm-hmm. And I just, we just started laughing endlessly about the metaphor of how that actually is in in uh you know in society yeah so all all of uh indigenous and settler relations wrapped up in a bridge <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's how it seems <laughs> we'll make a lot of promises but uh it's still under construction we'll, we'll but we'll yeah. just say call it that we we renamed things but yeah it may take you some time absolutely um so i wanted to also talk about i've there, for anybody who's listening who hasn't already checked out uh, Lee Nouvelle, and if uh, you want the spelling of that, you can just go search it online. Uh, it's a it's a guy here in Alberta who does, uh, he's a former journalist, and he does a lot of work at trying to dig up uh, stories and, and bring things to light of the inner workings of the Métis Nation of Alberta. He's a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta. He's really proud to be a member, and he's, you know, we've had him on the show. He's a great guy. Uh, but what I love about his stuff is he really digs into it, um, and he he tries at every chance to give the Métis Nation of Alberta the opportunity to get their comment in, to get their response to things. And he's actually dug up a lot of things that I didn't never even heard of. So it's it's a fantastic website, uh, Facebook page, and stuff. If you guys want to check it out, it really kind of highlights. A lot of the things we talk about, but even so much more beyond that as far as these cartel organizations and how they, the mentality of how they operate. But what I really like that he's done lately is he's put out, he started to publish all of the emails that he sent and the replies, which are are almost next to no replies to anything he's asked for. Um, and one of the things that really I, I just thought was hilarious Um is in the bylaws, it's, you, you know, the financial um, information of the Métis Nation is is available to all members to come to Edmonton and go into the office and have a look at. And so he actually requested copies of and access to this, to which they quoted the bylaws and said, oh, you have to come to Edmonton, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they said that you have to write, you send a handwritten uh, notice to the provincial council requesting to see the financials. And so he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> so he sent a handwritten request. And uh, <laughs> their response was uh, when they did get a, eventually have a meeting and, and actually address this, which I'm sure Robert's rules were fully in effect at the time, um, they t- sent him a, note, a response saying his handwritten request wasn't adequate and that he will need to provide a letter addressed to the provincial council with a list outlining specifically what he would like to view, keeping in mind that the past documents will take some time to gather. 
So how accessible is this information to its members then? Is That's my first question right away. Well, I think that's, you know, that is the problem with any of these organizations. Uh, because they're not under the same scrutiny as a real government is in disclosing um, its financial statements, it probably isn't readily accessible. And worse, it's probably not broken down in any kind of a format that's, you know, really tangible to get your teeth in to understand where things are going. So even if you are a big supporter of the MA and you just really want information, again, it's a lot of hoops to go through. And it really shows a continued lack of transparency, even from, you know, sadly for people who support the organization. Absolutely. And I, I think what's, what's telling about that is... Um... They've made viewing these documents at the behest of the provincial council. So if you're a member, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you get the right to view that information. That means you get the right to ask to view that rec- that information. And I think that's a huge thing that people should know about is y- it seems if you just read the bylaw, it's sort of, you know, it's very vague and it seems like, oh, well, okay, so all members can go do that. But it actually isn't. It's a all members can request to see that information, but that doesn't mean they a have to give you the they have to grant the request. And like they you see here, they can put a bunch of uh, restrictions on, like where they want to know specifically which items you would like to see, what why you want to see it, uh, which is, is really irrelevant. Um, if I'm Joe Blow at the Métis Nation member, what if I just want to see it? What if I want to go there every month and see it? I, I should be able to, but what do you think? And and that would be the kind of transparency that an organization is receiving, you know, the kind of funds that they are should be able to provide its membership, right? Absolutely. But but what you see again is the same thing that you have with the federal government is it's a lot of talk and yeah. uh, a lot of runaround, you know, to get an honest answer. Yeah, absolutely. My dog is just hacking up along here right now. That's all right. Um, well, and, and I think it's important for people to understand how these bylaws are written. Like, they're not written specific enough to say all members can see these this information, uh, with, you know, and it, but when it, when you put it at the in the control of the provincial council, well, now you've given all that control to, you know, Audrey, essentially, to determine whether or not she wants to let you see that. And I think that's kind of the running theme in a lot of his correspondence with them. Um, like he's dug up stories about uh, people who've been convicted of fraud for stealing money from past Métis organizations that Audrey was a part of at the time, and now they're all working at the MNA under Audrey's regime. Uh, you know, the electoral officer. Uh, there was talk of her taking money from one of Audrey's past campaigns. Uh, which Audrey never pressed charges for, and then turned around and hired her into the MA. And this is the lady that's the impartial electoral officer now. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like he's bringing up a lot of these stories, and I, I think it really shows when you like how much power is in these people's hands when people think they have these bylaws that that's where all the power sits. Um, and it, it's such a misleading thing, which is goes back to our comments on our past episode about constitutions and stuff being very misleading language. And and I think that holds true for their bylaws even. 
Well, and it really shows that, uh, you know, if it was a real form of government and those were bylaws really were worth their salt, there would be a way to enforce them. Uh, you know, that's why in Canada, the Canadian system, we have a two-house, two-party system, you know, uh, or more. So there's accountability that way. Um, but when you're in a Roberts Rules board situation, that accountability even and again, and this is someone who, you know, is within the organization and has a member in good standing and is really out just to provide some transparency and sadly can't get the information. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's a sad state. I think, I mean, I think, um, I've heard not even beyond this, this, uh, you know, this guy's experiences and stories and, and documentation but i've i've heard stories of uh, you know regional offices banning people because they want to they come in and ask for financial information or they they want to see the the finances of the regional office and stuff like that and they get banned um so it's it's these are not ways to run an open organization uh when we talk about transparency and accountability i mean these are the most glaringly obvious things that i could think of that are perhaps the lowest hanging fruit for those of you who are who want to get in and, and increase the transparency and accountability. Uh, maybe pick this kind of shit <laughs> to deal with because, like, it, it's just ridiculous that that people accept this as as okay in an organization. Well, and I think that's the the challenge. How do you, if you support this organization, how do you work to make it better? When it seems from the top down, you can't even get something as simple as a little transparency, <laughs> a little accountability on getting your hands on what should be, according to the bylaws, uh, readily available paperwork for request. Yeah, well, and, and you know, like you said, when when it comes to the federal government, I mean, there's there's certain rules in place. There's certain checks and balances in place. Uh, you know, one of those rules is that when there's an election, the government is dissolved. And essentially what that means is we have no government. Um, and so Elections Canada, I mean, in, in theory, but more so than, than certainly than, than this elections officer in the M&A, is very impartial. I mean, to them, it doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't matter what parties are, are playing. It just matters that they're all playing by the same rules and that they're all following the rules. And so I think that's yeah. that's a very important aspect of this that you don't see with these uh, these Métis organizations. And I'd honestly say any Métis organization across Canada, really. Well, clearly. I mean, it, it, you know, how hard is it then? I mean, if there's, it's like you said before, so you can put in a request, and the bylaws say that you can request the information, but it really shows the monopoly at the top because, you know, just because you ask doesn't mean it's going to be granted. Therefore, really, what's the point of the bylaw? to make you feel like you have an opportunity to participate and get involved. But really what's the reality? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what it, uh, when I read these things, like, I mean, you know, I can sit here all day and, and, and take shots at the M and A and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I, I actually feel really sad because here's an organization that could do so much. It could do so much good. And, and probably in the past it has done some good, but the way things are going now and the way things are rolling forward right now, I just, I don't see the real good things coming out of these organizations. Um, and I think that kind of leads into, well, 
a lot of topics, really. I mean, it leads into all of our discussions as to here's there's such a huge opportunity to make people's lives better, to to improve people's lives. And what you see is just an absolute failing to do so. And it's even in their bylaws. They can't even follow their own bylaws without looking for loopholes to get out of get out of them, to get out of the accountability, to to get out of being able having to give information to their members. So it, it's a real sad mentality the way they approach their governance. Well, and I think that's the point is if you have people who are trying to counteract the negativity, if you will, that we put forward or the critique that we put forward about these organizations and their unaccountability, here you have someone within the organization trying to show that, hey, look, these you guys might be wrong there. Um, <laughs> and instead, what happens? Yeah. You know, uh, everything we say is, is coming true. Yeah. And so from someone who is a supporter, who's inside the system, who's trying to use the bylaws and exercise proper channels, what happens? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like you said, an organization that should be there for the betterment of Métis people to make sure the money goes to where it's needed, uh, what's really happening? Well, that's just it. Um, you know what? It's funny because one of the criticisms that uh, that we received quite quite a, well not quite frequently every from time to time when when a few trolls get online and decide they're going to throw some courage up behind a keyboard um but one of the criticisms i've i've heard, i've received recently was that we don't offer any suggestions on our uh, for improvement on our show which i wholeheartedly disagree with i think every show is about how you could improve if you just like actually listen to what we said but um cuz i think it, like, if you want me to write down exactly step by step what you need to do, I think you're you shouldn't even be bothering to type. Um, but the truth is, some suggestions are right here. Follow your bylaws without looking for loopholes. Stop looking for ways to become less accountable. Elect leaders who have a mentality that they're there to serve their people, not act as queen and king of their people. Um, you know, just some things like that, maybe. Those are some, some suggestions, I would say. <laughs> well, at the very least, there is multiple ways. If you're not part of the organization and, you, you know, for whatever reason, get involved in another organization. Uh, supporting a different party in the kaleidoscope of conversation is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, if you're inside the organization and you're, you know, you're not happy with the way things are going, then it's your job and responsibility to get involved and yeah. to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and if you're not willing to do either of, the, either of those things, well, then I guess you're just going to sit on the sideline for the next 90 years. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there is so much that can be done from the inside if you, if you do want to get involved. I mean, uh, you know, creating a governance system where people have a, a, a dissenting voice is allowed, where people have a, an avenue to to uh, pick who best represents them and their values within the organization. Um, you know, I I mean, there's even governance models out there for uh, organizations like this to do a full-on, um, you know, uh, unanimous decision kind of decision-making process. And it's a longer process, but at the end of the day, you get better decisions made. So perhaps those are some things that these organizations could look to. But that would mean that the existing power structure, 
has to decide we no longer want to be this power structure. It's, I mean, you've seen this hugely in, in federal politics when Justin was promising this will be the last election of first past the post. And guess what? We're heading into another election of first past the post because he totally slid on that because it's easy to promise, but that means that his party would lose power in the next election. There would not, there might not be this monopoly of power. And how are you going to convince people in that seat of power to say, nah, I'm willing to give it up, you know? Yep. Well, and, and that's the problem is when you're really looking at it, and there's cost, and there's cost, opportunity cost. And if people aren't happy with the way things are going, then that's the opportunity cost is it's going to cost you to get involved. It costs us the cost to get involved, to have this podcast, and and to have this conversation, yeah. but that's our responsibility. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think the more people that got involved, the more people that that step up and say this isn't acceptable. We want change. We want it to change this way, and form groups and and form your own groups in your local communities to say this is how we want things to go. I mean, that would create a shift. That would unceremoniously change an organization but when you when you have a low voter turnout when you have in between these elections quote unquote uh you just don't get a lot of people involved um you don't get a lot of people fighting the governance structure or or really doing those things you get some people some people are really loud about it but just not enough to be to make a difference right yeah and that's the challenge and you and I both know to change a organization from within is an uphill battle, but I think it's if people believe the organization is worth saving, then they need to do that and they need to get in there and save it. Yeah, absolutely. But if, if they if they don't, you still can't sit on the sidelines just because you're not a member and whine about how it's not going, or worse, just throw your hands up and say, "Ah, oh, what does it matter?" I, I think as Métis people. That's not the legacy that we've been given, and that's not the responsibility we have to the next generation. Absolutely, absolutely. And this, you know, um, the way these organizations run, it kind of leads into, well, it's kind of a bad segue, but it leads into our kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about today, which was obviously in Alberta, the big news is, well, I guess in Canada, but really Alberta mainly is the big news is the pipeline got shut down. Um, So I thought we'd spend a few minutes on that. I, for total transparency, I'm in the oil industry, um, but I still have some issues with pipelines. Um, but really, this isn't a decision about whether you like the pipeline or not. This is a the decision was made in the Canadian court system, and it shut down the pipeline because it found that they completely failed to assess the environmental impact on the orca whales and the salmon out on the west coast due to higher tanker traffic. They just totally left that out, and that they really dropped the ball when it came to consultation with Indigenous people. And mm-hmm. there's two things I want to quickly say. Well, one thing is, is uh, this is the Canadian court system that actually decided this. And the second thing was, is I saw a lot of people saying, oh, the court system works. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It's a broken clock, and it was right once. And, it, you know, they're right twice a day, so this was its once. Um, but that's essentially where this pipeline is at, right? Well, and I think that's the challenge. So I, I did a little bit of just like economic background on the pipeline. And I think the problem that we have is we just have a government trying to push through an agenda based on misinformed industry information. 
And that's my first problem with this is the government, these industries are self-regulated and the information that they put forward to the government for what they feel is their best interest, I think is largely misinformed. Because if you look at our uh, buyers of our oil, um, shipping to the West Coast, we've pretty much maxed out our quota to what the Chinese are going to buy from us, what the Japanese are going to buy from us. And so we'd have to find new customers on the West coast to make that a a viable venture. Yeah. Um, If we were talking pipelines, we wanted to say, Hey, we need to keep uh, Alberta's economy viable. We need to keep people employed in the uh, oil extraction business. Really then we should be looking to ship our oil West. I mean, East and stop importing oil from unethical places like, venezuela or saudi arabia absolutely absolutely and i i think you know there's there's a huge discussion to be had around these pipelines um you know and i I can i see both sides i really do obviously i'm in the oil industry so it's uh i can't really i I have a biased view and I, i can't really you know i mean my opinion is my opinion but uh i can see both sides and i i think there's a very much room for community consultation, indigenous consultation, and I, I kind of do believe there is room to have pipelines if it's respectful to communities and consultation. Some people will disagree and say just don't, there should be no pipelines whatsoever, uh, but the reality is is there's going to be pipelines. Um, there's thousands of them in the ground right now, and they're going to just keep building more. So we, we have to face reality. If there's going to be pipelines, then we need to come to an understanding of what re- reasonable consultation is respectful consultation and a respectful conversation without well, the vitriol. A productive yeah without a with a productive conversation yes i think you, you, there, we don't live in a society where everything is all or nothing I, you know the court system right wrong or otherwise happen to fall in favor with a lot of indigenous perspective on this one i can't say that this system worked because it didn't because in, and it's not because the, the premier of alberta is still standing up saying hey this is still going to go through mm-hmm. so um, the reality is, is the system doesn't work uh, when it comes to resource extraction and indigenous viewpoint. Yes. So I think that's bad and that needs to change. But we have to understand that, you know, as long as everybody wants to keep wearing their Gucci, their Prada, and they want to wipe their bums with trees and put gas in their car, resource extraction is going to happen. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And we need to, and so we need to have a conversation about what that responsibly looks like. Yes. Saying no more pipelines, that's not going to happen. So we no point sidelining ourselves in the conversation. We might as well have a responsible conversation that if we're going to put a pipeline in the ground. Absolutely. What is that going to look like? How are we going to maintain it? And how are we going to fix, like you said, all the thousands of pipelines that are already there? Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that I, I mean, this to me, this decision was, it was glaringly obvious how broken this whole system is because we have so much outrage going on. But then we don't even have rules in place to, to what is considered consultation? What is mm-hmm. good consultation? And, you know, um, you're speaking, to, there, there's a, a couple of points on this I want to get to, I hope, but... One of the things that, that I, I think is we have to understand, too, that uh, while a pipeline is important, there is other important aspects of Alberta and, and Canada. And one of the things that I, a lot bothered a lot of people, and it bothered me a little bit, was uh, at Calgary Pride, uh, Rachel Notley, of course, was there, and, and the whole you know the NDP gang was there. 
Um, and Jason Kenny had his pride event with his nine people that were there. Um, <laughs> but right after the land acknowledgement, Notley's, some of her first words were, we're going to build this pipeline. And I just thought that's a wholeheartedly inappropriate way to, it's not the place to talk about pipelines at a pride parade. But after an indigenous land acknowledgement, I don't think is the appropriate place to talk about a land acknowledgement or a land, uh, pipeline as well. So, I, you know, it's again, it goes back to this respectful dialogue. It goes back to a respectful attitude towards pipelines and indigenous uh, perspectives, indigenous rights, indigenous land uh, acknowledgement, um, and and how it, there is such a lack of it throughout the whole system. Uh, and the courts well, and I, and this I, time found it. Well, exactly. And I think so. We were lucky this time. Um, if, you know, I don't, I'm not a supporter of a pipeline to the West, simply because it doesn't make any sense yeah. economically at all. It's just all mis- corporate misdirection that our government's bought into. But I, what I really find funny about the whole thing about Notley in Calgary was, again, if you go back almost four years ago when the NDP got in, Boy, were they looked at to be the saviors from this energy hungry, you know, roller coaster of resource extraction addiction that uh, Alberta was claimed to be on. And here, four years later, we have probably what should have been the most anti pipeline party you could put in is now the most pro pipeline party. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and her response by pulling out of, you know, the climate agreement and stuff like that, like uh, that clearly shows their commitment to climate <laughs> and environmental protections. And there was some things I wanted to read. Um, There's a group called Voices here in Calgary, and they actually put out a statement about her saying this. But there was a couple of key things I, I thought were really good ways to look at how inappropriate it was for her to say this at, a, at right after a land acknowledgement, but it kind of to also give perspective from how a lot of Indigenous view, you know, this pipeline issue. Uh, so one of the, one of the sentences was, um, they said immediately after I gave the speech about building mindfulness of the impacts of colonization on indigenous people in Canada, the importance of building community and caretaking of the land, you stood up and declared, "We will build this pipeline." And uh, you know, I think that's a good point to make because there's there is actually a lot of of social um, issues that come with the the energy industry to be honest with you and mm-hmm. come with these pipelines and these temporary work camps and these temporary guys that are or you know people that are working here that aren't even from here that are from across the country that they don't care what they do here they're going back in 6 months um so yeah. i think there's a bigger conversation there too than just the economics or government regulations it's you got to look at the social impacts of it as well and I, I thought they captured that really well in that statement. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very well done. It was a it was a very long statement, and they they talked about the TRC calls to action. So if anybody's interested in reading the full statement, I I really encourage you to go do it. It was very good, uh, very respectful, even still. Um, you can just go on Facebook and search for Voices. It's a coalition um, uh, for people of color and Indigenous people in the LGBTQ two plus community. So check that out on Facebook if you want to read that. It's a really good statement. Uh, and then the last thing that I, I of that that I wanted to quote was he, uh, he said, Apologies are not work. They precede work. Don't be sorry. Do better. And I thought that was a really good statement. Um, and that kind of goes with our whole theme of this podcast where you can say words, 
but that's not actions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, uh, even with the M and A, it's they have bylaws, but they're, they're just words. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that, that's really the theme of the whole this evening's discussion is is a lot of words and very little action. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so those are some of the things I think that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to kind of get into, and we have a few more minutes, so I'm going to get into it. <laughs> but I, I wanted to point out how interesting it is that you have what we call the cartel, which is the Métis National Council and affiliates, fully supporting and publicly supporting this pipeline. Yet, obviously, they did not read the documents. They did not put an ounce of effort into analyzing it. Because they supported it, yet there was very, there was inadequate consultation with Indigenous people done and inadequate environmental uh, impact studies done. So when organizations like Métis organizations such as the Métis National Council and its affiliates want to endorse something like this, if they just come out and don't read it and say, yes, we support it, that kind of makes them look like Government of Canada just puppets. I don't know. What do you think, Jay? Well, I, I, again, my when I read that, my biggest problem again is immediately there's no unity between Métis people and First Nations people uh, yeah. on an organizational structure level. Yes, and that always concerns me first and foremost because we have uh, such a diverse views on pipeline and energy development, but consistently the the cartels have come out and always in favor. It doesn't matter whether it's hydro in Manitoba or pipelines in Alberta. We have the, you know, the organizations are firmly behind development. And it is a very tough thing yes. uh, to sell and a very tough thing to try to build bridges with, you know, our First Nations kin. When our organization like this with that kind of size you know, carte blanche just throws its support buses up behind a pipeline development when not even the, you know, Supreme Court of Canada is willing to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I, I think it's, I think it's really sad that you have these organizations throwing their support behind them when, you know, if you want to throw your, if the, if the, if it's going through a first nation and they support it and you want to say, yeah, no, we support it. We'll support it then too when it goes through the, your guys' territory, that's one thing. But when you just give it carte blanche across the country to, nah, just throw it in anywhere, we're good, um, you are not taking into account the varied territories that it crosses. Um, a lot of the coastal nations did not want this. They did not accept it. They did not, they, they did not support it. Uh, there was a few in Alberta and B.C. that did support it, but those are more interior nations. And so... I mean, you can't just carte blanche do it. I mean, that's like pan-indigenizing from within the indigenous community. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Exactly, yep. So I, I, it was disappointing, but I think it highlights to, uh, you know, again, where they're not, they're not taking the time to read this stuff. They're not taking the time to look at this and actually do an objective look at it and say, you know what, we don't feel that this is in we, we we feel this is inadequate in this area or this area so we would support it if they would improve these things no they just came out and said no we support it no nope, no problem absolutely so it's mm -hmm. it's disappointing to say the least i think absolutely and i think that's the whole point is about talking you know saying good words or doing good things and that's what we saw here is a lot of good words but it really led to a lot of bad action 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I think that's the theme of tonight is, uh, you know, there's people, the governments, uh, leaders, quote unquote leaders of organizations can use words, bylaws, constitutions, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's actions that speak louder. And uh, both from the government of Canada, government of Alberta, and these Métis organizations, a lot of times their actions do actually speak much louder because they say one thing and they're doing another. Or they just say things to 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 appease people or confuse people. So it's mm-hmm. it's disappointing. Yeah, we've got a lot of misdirection that's going on, a lot of misinformation. People are using, you know, the, especially the, the cartel is using the power of social media yeah. uh, for mis- misdirection, really, and misinformation. Absolutely. And sadly, the only way to get that to counter that is what we've been saying, oh, probably since episode one, is people need to get involved, they need to stand up and uh, make make a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to close it on there. I know, Jason, you got to run, uh, and i got to take off too, so we're going to close it there. Um, if you guys enjoyed the show and you want to get uh, more show, you want to get us help us get out to communities and bring you more stories, more interviews, more guests, more, more uh, information... Uh, head to our Patreon page. The link will be in the description. And, you know, you can t- donate as much or as little as you want. And every little bit goes to help us getting this show bigger and better. Um, maybe even eventually really putting it onto YouTube. That's something I'd love to do. But we need to get some more support going there in order to do that. Um, but, yeah. Because it's than, expensive. It is expensive. And I don't have the equipment to do really good YouTube stuff. So, you know, there's that. Um, but we would love to do it and we'd love to have, uh, your guys' support if you guys would be willing to, to, to help us out and support the show. Uh, any final thoughts, Jay? Anything you want to leave everybody with? No, I think the way you wrap up the show is just fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope, uh, everybody enjoyed the show. I hope you have a great week, uh, and we will be back next week. Uh, I think I'm trying to line up this youth, um, episode so hopefully that'll be next week but i can't guarantee that so until next time though the jig is up you are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land and it will be a fire that doesn't burn but a fire that cleanses a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light